Okay. Thanks, Jay. Good morning, everybody. Um, I was talking uh, this morning about uh, doing this message and said I had a few butterflies and somebody said, well, why? You've done this enough times and you look pretty calm up there. And I said, well, I think it's because, and if I'm correct, I've never given a message in front of my mom and dad. Have you ever heard me speak before? Okay, so my sister Denise from Flagstaff is here right behind Stan and my mom and dad, Roger and Donna, are here today. And I appreciate them being here, but I I can't remember giving a message when I had this many butterflies. So um, it's, it's got to be, that's got to be it. But uh, we're, I'm glad they're here. And uh, I am thankful for the rain. And uh, I got a little story here that I just decided to throw in since my dad's here. Um, speaking of the rain, my dad just turned 80 and he's in excellent health. And uh, I get uh, the pleasure of farming with him. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's just great. That's all I can say. It's great working with my dad. And uh, because he's in such good health, he didn't retire from farming until he was 77 years old. So uh, he and I worked together, but uh, all the pressure was on him for all those years. And about 15 years ago, uh, Barb and the kids and I were, I think we were getting ready to go to the county fair in our camper. And um, it had been hot and dry in July like it usually is. And uh, Dad had come over for something. And we had a, a couple of exchanges there that did not go well. And my dad is not a grumpy guy. He's very optimistic. But it was obvious this day was not a good day at all. Um, so <clears throat> he went home. About 4 o'clock that afternoon, we got an inch and a half of rain. And uh, about 6 o'clock, Dad came back over to the farm. And uh, he apologized for being so grumpy. Um, he said, you know, it was just a lot of stress with the rain. Um, so I want to tell you, Dad, that you grew several sizes in my eyes that day, that you were uh, really grumpy, and you came over and apologized. And uh, we all knew what that was about. Uh, so now that he's retired, I'm the one that gets to be grumpy. <coughs> So uh, until about 4 o'clock this morning, I was not only butterflies, but I was a grumpy butterfly. So it rained. I still have butterflies, but I hope I'm not grumpy. So it's good to have uh, my folks and my sister here. So this morning, uh, yeah, you can see we're going to talk about The Blind Side. That was a really good movie. I think a lot of you have probably seen it, and this message has little or nothing to do with it. So uh, this is not about football or orphans or anything like that. Um, this is about a different blind side. So let me begin here. Most of you have heard the, this question before. If a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, was there sound? And we've heard it. We can process it. And the answer seems obvious. Of course there was sound, right? Well, it's not quite that easy. If you ask the physicists and the people that do that, they would say that part of sound is not only the waves moving through the air, but something has to receive it. Or there, there really is no sound. There's just vibrations in the air. So if no one is there to receive them, the second half of the sound equation is incomplete. So put another another way, if I gave this sermon to an empty church, would it still be a sermon? Or what if I delivered my message in the Sunday school room while you were all in here? Now, you may wish that afterwards, but for now, okay, 
it, it wouldn't do much good for me to preach in there when everybody's in here. So the, the message and the receiver uh, have to get together. So my, the, the focus of my message today is on the listener part of that equation, and that would be you all, and not specifically you folks sitting in the pews, although I, I hope you do listen. But I'm, I'm talking more in the context of a conversation, the one to whom the message is delivered. And uh, Trey read, not Trey, Jay, um, you need two elders with names almost identical, you, you know. Jay read uh, Psalm 139 for us, and uh, I'm going to read uh, parts of it here uh, just to reiterate uh, where I want to go with this. So uh, Psalm 139, uh, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And then we're going to skip on to the last two verses of that psalm. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So, we have two parts to this psalm. The first 16 verses, David focuses on how great God is. He points out that God knows everything about us. He always has known everything about us, even before we were formed in our mother's womb. He knows where we are and what we're doing 24 hours a day. He knows in the light and in the dark. He knows whether we flee to the north or the south. We cannot hide anything from him. And if we go back to verse 1, David says, The Lord has searched me and knows me. So we get the impression that David really understands that God knows everything there is to know about all of us. Where we are, what we're doing, what we're thinking, when we came to be, when we will cease to be, everything. So this is the God that David's talking about. He's built a really good picture about what God knows. And then in verse 23 and 24, he says to this God that knows everything there is to know about him. He says, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I've looked up a few commentaries on this section of Psalm 139, and I I think I can sum it up this way. David is saying, search my heart, God. Look for those things which are offensive to you and reveal them to me. So David is asking God to search his heart and point out his junk. And he's making a very bold statement. Remember, he's talking to the guy that knows everything. He knows the impure thought you had 10 seconds ago, 10 hours ago, 10 years ago. God knows it all. So, so David's going to God and saying, I know that you know everything there is to know about me. You know where every blood cell in my body is right now. And I want you to tell me what you find offensive in me and reveal it to me. David was quite a guy. Um, I think he wrote and prayed this psalm honestly. Um, and he, he was quite a man. Now, the opinion he's asking for is not the opinion of a mere man. This is God. So David's asking, where are my blind spots? Areas in our lives that may not be as God-pleasing as they should be. Now, I'm convinced there are very few people out there who look at themselves and conclude that their behavior in certain areas is wrong. There are not many of us that could honestly say, you know, if I had to make a list of all the fine points about myself and all the shortcomings, this list would be a short list because we just don't see it. God could make the list too and it would look vastly different. So we just don't see him as wrong, whether we either deny that what we're doing is inappropriate or unhealthy um, or, or sometimes we just think that, well, rightness and wrongness is just an opinion, you know, that what I'm doing isn't really bad or it's not that bad. So we start to assign degrees or levels of, of badness. Um, and um, this this whole thing um, is we, we justify what we do. And I love going back to Genesis. You all know the story of Adam and Eve. Adam had a blind spot. And you're saying, how big of a blind spot? She listened to a snake in the grass. Okay. Of all the people you're going to take advice from, a snake in the grass gave her advice. And silly Adam just went willingly right down the path with her. And when God asked what happened, what'd they say? I, it wasn't me. I, not my fault. So, um, Eve did something. Satan caught Eve in a blind spot and he got her. And she denied and justified it. So, we come to another section of scripture concerning David. Um, And when David prayed this uh, prayer in Psalm, in Psalm 139, and said, God, show me my bad stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain that the timing was not just before the events of 2 Samuel. So just picture this. Had David prayed that prayer just before the events of 2 Samuel, which I'm sure he didn't, uh, but this is how quickly God could answer. So 2 Samuel, chapters 11 and 12. When Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. 
After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, it even slept in his arms. The lamb was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come. Instead, he took the one little ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then one of the greatest lines in all of scripture, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives in your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your household I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. He will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So David has this story revealed to him by the prophet Nathan. And initially, what's David's response? He listened to the story and he said, surely that man must die. So he heard the story. Did he get it? He didn't get it. Somebody was telling him his story in a kind way and he didn't get it. And then Nathan, pretty bluntly, says, you're the man. And what was David's response? Did he wiggle? Did he justify? Did he deny? He simply said, I have sinned. David listened and accepted the truth. David did two key things here. He listened and he accepted. So, we talk about listening and accepting. And um, um, so, so how do we not get it? Number one, we need to turn our ears on. We need to learn how to listen. Now, here's a little example of how not to listen. I was talking to Jay 
uh, earlier, and um, he was telling me about his golf game. So, uh, Jay, just stand up here a minute, and uh, let's just talk about your golf game a little bit. Well, I really enjoy golfing. You know, we, we play over to Narga every week, and sometimes the course is kind of rough, but sometimes it's kind of rough, and it's just, you know, we play over there, and I, I really enjoy the game. I'm doing pretty well. Every week, Dennis asks me. I think he keeps track of the score and the, and the standings better than I do, and but it's it's a lot of fun, you know. We go over there and, and it's we go every Tuesday night. And this week we get to play Scott and his partner, hoping to beat beat up on them mm-hmm. a little bit. But you mm-hmm. know they're pretty good, and and I don't. I mean sometimes we do okay, but but you know we we, we go over there every week, and it's it's, it's it's really it's a lot of fun. But um, you know it's it's uh, boy it's it's fun. Um, but we go. I, I'm doing all right. Oh, that's that's great, Jay. Yeah, okay, yeah, thanks. thanks. Nobody's ever done that. Ever done that? All the time. All the time. And that's acceptable in our culture. It's like having an eight-year-old that interrupts every adult conversation you've ever had. This little thing here uh, stands in the way. So I'm not, I'm not going to bash cell phones. I'm going to bash our acceptance of how we let intrusions into our life interrupt with our listening. Jay said something about golf and the rough is rough, I guess. Um, and I was kind of listening, but you, you know, I'm not that good. I can't listen and, and text at the same time. Um, and, and not only can I not listen, I insult Jay when I put my phone above his. <clears throat> I remember a story uh, from John Trent. I believe it was John Trent, but I'll give him credit, uh, Christian author and speaker. Um, he said uh, one evening he was in the living room and his six-year-old daughter had been just, just started school a couple weeks before and they were sitting on the couch and she was telling him about his day. And, and he admitted that as he was listening to his daughter, something on the television kind of caught his eye a little bit. And when his little girl realized that she didn't have her dad's full attention, she gently grabbed his cheeks pulled his face around, and John Trent says, we were nose to nose. And she said, Daddy, you need to listen with your eyes. And, and I think that is so appropriate. Um, we need to focus on listening. Um, God tells us things in so many different ra- ways, and we are so distracted. Oh, shiny thing. You, you know, we're, we're so easily distracted. We need to focus. We really need to focus on listening. And I remember I heard of an interview with Mother Teresa a while back. Uh, the journalist was not a Christian, and she was curious about prayer. So she asked Mother Teresa what it was like to pray. And the saint replied that she and God just talk. And the young lady perked up and said, what's God say? And uh, Mother Teresa replied, well, he doesn't talk. He listens. He listens. She says, well, then, what do you say to God? And she said, well, I, I don't talk, I, I listen. And, and the focus for Mother Teresa was listening. Listening when God himself, doesn't happen too often for me, uh, I think he speaks through people and places and events, to me anyway, but that we are open to listen, that we can focus on listening. So David listened to Nathan. 
didn't really get it the first time. But when Nathan cut to the chase and made it extremely clear, David listened. Now, what's the second thing that David did? He accepted. And, and this is, this is hard. Um, we had some very good teaching on marriage, uh, in the sanctuary not too long ago. A, uh, guy named, uh, David Paul Tripp. Paul David Tripp, I guess was his name. And he has a series, kind of aimed toward newlyweds, but it's, it's, uh, applicable to everyone, uh, called What Were You Expecting? And I think the premise is that two people meet, they fall in love, they're going to get married, and yes, they have high expectations of happiness forever, but what were you really expecting? Um, so um, one of the uh, uh, things he said about expect, what to expect in marriage is, he said, marriage will expose your faults. Now, he did not say that it is the spouse's responsibility to expose the faults of their mate. He simply said that being married will expose your faults. I got a little story here. It's a, it's a made up, but I've got permission to, uh, to tell it. I just included names that we know, so it'd be a little more real. So, Kyle and Corey are gonna get married, like Jay said, in, in, I think three or four weeks. And, uh, they, they know each other quite well. Well, they've been dating a while. Uh, however, they will have a wonderful opportunity to get to know each other a lot better in the, in the, uh, in the coming year. So, um, let's just say that uh, they've been married almost a year and Mother's Day is a week away. So, uh, Corey says to Kyle that he may want to consider a card and a gift. And Kyle says, yep, I'll get right on it. And he does. Kyle goes out and he picks out a very nice gift and, and a card uh, for Mother's Day. Way to go, Kyle. So, uh, Mother's Day is, comes and the newlyweds go to uh, Kyle's parents, to Russ and Darlene's for lunch. And Kyle proudly presents his card and his gift to his mom, and it, and uh, and so does Corey. Corey gives her mother-in-law a card, and Kyle's going, "Uh, wow, I missed that one." Corey's not trying to one-up Kyle, but uh, Kyle never thought of his mother-in-law needing a Mother's Day card. So. A little shortcoming in Kyle's train of thought that probably wouldn't happen again. Nobody lectured him. Nobody gave him a big example. Nobody chewed him out. He just, he's married now. And he saw something that said, oh, I have other parents I need to consider. So sometimes that's how God talks to us. And we need to be open to those uh, those subtle ways uh, of God speaking to us. Uh, and then sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes our spouse speaks to us about things that are not so subtle. I got a question for you out here. How many of you have ever been told by your spouse that you might possibly snore? Yeah, just about everybody. And how many of you, the first time your spouse mentioned it, denied it? Yeah, everybody. I don't snore. No, I, I don't snore. Now, I, I painted this picture in my head. Um, of a couple, uh, and, and the, let's just use the wife. She says to the husband, you know, your snoring is getting a, a bit too much. And he says, I don't snore. And she says, 
Well, I don't remember them putting uh, railroad tracks to our bedroom because a freight train comes through here every night, and it's kind of hard to miss. And he's going, but I don't snore. You know, and, and the spouse is going, well, this is unbelievable, honey. I hear you snore every night. How can you deny this? And yet, he is. And if we look at our lives, there's times someone may not so subtly point something out to us, and we simply go, oh, I, I don't do that. Or, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that way. Um, and, and they're going, really? You don't get this? And, and it's like snoring. You don't, you, I'm not mistaken here. You snore. You know, I can't, you can't miss that. So, so, David listened and he accepted. And there are things in our life that are blindside. Things that we're simply blind to that, that we just don't get. And God sends People and events uh, in our lives, sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly, um, to help us see those. So to wrap this up, I've got a couple of stories um, that are somewhat personal. Um, I have a friend who uh, worked in a family, works, still works in a family business that um, didn't realize it, but he hated his job. He'd come home from work at night, and his, and his wife uh, would say that he's a little grumpy and and um, he's not real excited about work. And she, she told him one time, she said, you know, Joe, why do you hate your job? He said, I don't hate my job. She said, well, you come home from work grumpy. You don't want to get up in the morning and go to work. She said, you have nothing good to say about your job. Why do you hate your job? And to Joe's credit, he listened. He accepted what she said, and he said, uh, you, you might be onto something. So Joe went to one or two mentors that he trusts, and he talked about his job. And it's a family business. And Joe figured out that in his mind, his job was an entitlement. He was entitled to that job. So in his mind, he should get paid no matter what he did. So when he went to work and he had to actually work, it made him grumpy. And... And when he kind of figured out that his job was not an entitlement, it's something he had to do to get the money, he turned 180 degrees. And now he appreciates his job, and he loves his job. But he just had a little catch there that he wasn't seeing. And his wife was a big enough person to say, Joe, you really need to see things differently. Uh, another uh, story I, I heard, uh, I was in Canada about a month and a half ago. Um, we are uh, at Cabe Sales. We, we sell robots that milk cows. It's, it's a new frontier, and it's an exciting one. Um, and there are not milking robot dealers on every street corner. So um, when we get together for a big conference, we like to swap stories because uh, uh, there just aren't very many of us, and, and so often we run into the same issues. So you're swapping stories and talking. And, and one of the dealers had a young man that did consulting for them. He would go out to the farmers that bought these robots and um, just advise them on, on how to better use them. And it, it's an advisory thing, so um, they don't pay for the service. It just comes with buying the robot. Um, so anyway, he said Bill would go out and just get lost in the fray. And he said we could never figure out where Bill was. He was, he was just out doing his thing and he wouldn't fill out his time card to tell us where he was and it got very annoying he said for me and my managers that we could never figure out where Bill 
was. And we, we reprimanded him a couple of times and wrote him up. And it, it just wouldn't change. And then uh, Bill, the, this manager said, Bill came to him one day and, and said, um, this weekend, uh, my wife asked me why I would not submit to authority. And he told her, well, what are you talking about? And she said, they've been asking you and writing you up, and your job is at risk because you won't tell them where you're at during the day. All they want to know is where you're at. You know, they're not criticizing your job. They just want to know where you're at and what you're doing. And he said the light finally went on. And he, this manager said he's working on it. It's, it's hard because there's something in him that wants to kind of rebel. But the light went on. And he, he listened and he accepted. And, and he's turning for the better. Turning for the better. So, I got one last story. And forgive me if my voice cracks when I tell this. Um, and it doesn't help that my parents and my sister are here. Um, but... Um, we live in the house where I grew up, uh, there in rural Buckley. Uh, we moved there 20 some years ago when our Casey and Austin were just little. And every night, uh, since those kids could walk, we would kneel by the bed and say our prayers every night. And, um, that was, that was Barb's idea. Um, but they would look forward to it and so would we every night. And we'd go through the, uh, the, the prayer. I can't even remember what it was that they would recite. <clears throat> and um, and uh, I always knelt on Barb's right. She would be here. And Austin always wanted to kneel by Mom. And Casey always wanted to kneel next to me. So she was right here by my side. And when she would uh, get done with her prayer, she would say, God bless Mommy and Daddy and Casey and Austin and Grandma and Grandpa and Grandma and Grandma and Grandma every night. And um, she would say, God bless Mommy and Daddy. And when she would say Daddy, she would rub her little cheek on my arm a little bit. And um, for some reason, that annoyed me a little bit. And I, I, I don't know what it was. I thought maybe she was kind of like wanting to showboat her a little bit or, you know, just I don't know why. But it, it kind of bothered me. And um, it wasn't too long. And Barb says, you know. I noticed that when Casey is praying and she says, uh, God bless mommy and daddy, and she rubs up your arm, she said, I can feel you tense up. She said, what's going on? I said, I don't know, it just annoys me. And she said, why? I said, I can't give you a good answer. And she said, "Um, that is absolutely her love language. She is being as affectionate to you as she can. And um, boom, (laughs) I changed right there. And um, I think of it every night when I go to bed, and um, it's nothing, nothing but warm fuzzies with me and my daughter now. But I couldn't see it, and for some reason I had a wrong view, and I don't know why. But it's different now, and I love it, and I look forward to it. And I thank God that my wife was there to say, listen, and accept, and change. And God speaks to us this way all the time, through friends, neighbors, relatives, Sometimes in a sermon, I guess it could happen. So um, listen, to, listen to the Lord in all the ways that he talks to you. And praise God that he gives us the gift of others who can see us clearly and help us see our own blind side. Amen. Amen. Have a good day.